was your initial reaction when you read this? Um, so I was thinking, I was trying to think of any tools that I missed either, you know, here currently or, or working other places. And uh, it kind of hit back on what you were talking about. We talked about last week about like building a thing, you know, how, mm-hmm. how before we built a thing. And so, like that was one of the first things that, that really popped in my mind. Like I, previously, we built a tool, and that was that was a that was a a, a unique experience. You know, it, was, it definitely was beneficial. And then since then, I've just been doing glue. To be honest, you know, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to think of some of the critical tools that I uh, used previously that worked um, very well. And a couple of them. One of them at um, the in- industrial company was a uh, was basically like an always on VPN service, mm-hmm. and, but it, but you didn't have to initiate it. You just it, it just was, and it was there. And so it became the word that I was used was ubiquitous. The goal of that company was for your tools to be ubiquitous and unnoticed. Mm-hmm. So that was one of them, you know. Um, so I, I don't know. It was kind of a couple of things. It was first identifying tools I used before, and then longing for the time when I built the tool. But uh, what about you? What did you think about it? Well, so do you did you feel like the stuff that you built there was glue, or was it actual actual product? It was glue. It was glue because it, it was still in an, in a, in the automation space. So it was basically a stitch between most of it was a stitch between um, AWS and the network infrastructure. So it right. wasn't wasn't anything. You know, you don't. You have very little architecture decisions and all that. It was really to 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 connect the two. The other thing that that this article made me think about was, uh, you remember that office space? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I have people skills. I talk. I I'm the liaison between the salespeople yeah. and the or the customer and the engineers. I'm and good I, with people. Good with people, right? <laughs> and so there's there's that line down there about like proxy A can't talk to proxy B, and to some extent. That's kind of how it feels sometimes. It's just like I, I'm the glue. I, I make it so um, unstructured data that comes from a, a network vendor that doesn't care about automation can be put into structured data, and then you can run your stuff on top of it. So, it's, yeah. is that necessarily the problem that we have right now? Though, is that is that you know we we're now building we're well we're currently building glue. Yeah. Um, without really any sort of um, overarching goal. Have we solved the, and maybe it's just, it's a problem with the, with the networking to begin with, because obviously the protocols have been written. We're not working on building out new protocols, building out a new protocol is silly. Um, And we're not racking and stacking infrastructure, building out new data centers anymore. Um, so a lot of, a lot of that stuff is behind us. And with the network automation, it's, it's like we identified with what, what are the pain points? Cause we've all dealt with punching and configs and switches and routers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if there necessarily can not be glue. Yeah. I know you and I have talked a lot about what we think we could do and what we, what we could deliver. 
and all we're doing is basically just building a box for people to to put their glue in in a seemingly adaptable format but i don't know if maybe that maybe all that's left is glue mm-hmm. I, I don't know yeah i think i think one of the if you look at a couple of the tools so a couple of the tools that have been created that become kind of ubiquitous or or they they become the the Kleenex of the network automation field, you know, it's like something that is everywhere. And it, it, napalm is one of them, I think. Of. And that, but that's glue. If you look at the description, I think it's network abstraction, programmability. You know, it's it's a a mnemonic that was built around. I think they built the mnemonic after they uh, they came up with the product. But yeah, it's basically an abstraction layer, and it's it's dope. And it's it's um it makes things easier to work with, but it's glue, you know. So I think I think you might be right. The the status quo of operating networks or or network vendors for now is glue. And maybe if you, you, you haven't done enough with Yang to to be um danger more, more than just basically dangerous with it, but maybe when more of the data modeling comes in it may not be glue we may have some higher level tools but uh i think uh i remember interop um jeremy showman said that he says i think he says it a lot like net engineers need higher level tools higher level tooling has to exist and he may it may be him and someone else to say it but i remember him saying it so you know maybe that's what has to come about higher level tools um, i know people talk about SDN and and automation where the network heals itself and um, a lot of the engineers behind the the marketing sticks of of like oh this is a help you know self healing network Go, yeah. what are you talking about we we still have to have pagers that respond to network outages like that's not it's not going to take that stuff away yeah. when I go back to thinking about the one product I think you and I really started our you know, obviously our professional career with each other started yeah. at that point. Um, but that very much felt like a product, even though it was glue, it was tying a order form to the actual, you know, config for the user. Um, and it was just doing that swivel chair, but it still felt like a product. And I don't necessarily know why we weren't, we weren't writing it, but somehow, oh, well, we were writing it, but we weren't, we weren't defining that business process. That business process stood the test of time, wasn't going to change. There was no need to necessarily change it. Right. Um, you know, applications like, you know, all, all the typical SaaS applications you think online that we use day in and day out, whether or not it's a social network or if it's a, you know, something like Slack, they're actually building a product where it comes with features that has all these things. Um, you know, that maybe that's now that I think about that, I, I say that and get the words out of my head. I think now that I, I'm, can start answering that question. One mm-hmm. thing that we are able to do is provide users to uh, features to users where all the stuff that we do a lot of times is just glue between systems. And it's yeah. just trying yeah. to force box A to talk to box B by some means. Um, and you're not making, you're not actually making box A or B do anything differently, or you're not giving the users you're you're not actually giving them any any more capability. You're just giving them a different interface, right? To it, and there was there was that discussion we had on Twitter uh, the other day, 
about chat ops and like uh it was excellent it was excellent thread because it was it was it ended in you know agree to disagree but it was just a lot of uh a lot of good points all around and one of them that stood out on um, one of the gentlemen said uh you are you are changing the you're moving the the failure domain or you're just changing the user domain if you start using like chat ops and national uh, natural language processing you're moving it from CLI to this other piece of software that you have to maintain. That's not necessarily all bad, but it's not adding functionality. And that's that's kind of what it feels like. Sometimes is like you you were moving, we're just moving the problem around. And if if not making the problem worse, because when you yeah. add a natural language pro you know uh, processor, the safe way to do it is you push back to the user and say, I understood you to do, you wanted to do this. Is that what you wanted to do? Mm -hmm. And you've now added, you know, granted we can, you know, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, but you know, uh, the complexity of, of actual command line syntax, but on the, on the whole, you've, you've, like you said, you move the problem around. You've maybe alleviated one problem, which is memorizing syntax, but you've, you've now increased the problem of making sure that that parser works correctly. And if it doesn't work more than, you know, let's say 75% of the time, your users are going to be less likely to actually use it because I don't want to use it. You know, it's, it's error prone and I might as well just go to the CLI itself. Yeah. And then, and then like, the other thing too is, with new, um, then how did the user interface with it now, right? Like, even if you take it a step down from like the, the natural language or whatever, the chat ops down to something as simple. Ansible just comes is now the language of automation for a lot of it. But like you, you create a playbook or a set of playbooks and we see this now with what we're doing will work. When you onboard someone else to use it or you, you're gonna hand it over to a user or a customer it's like it's still it's it's a little bit you have to maintain so much more documentation um yeah i almost have to maintain a run book for the playbooks right like oh it's, these, it's these, no it, less it's no less vendor lock-in yep than if you would have just gone with the off-the-shelf solution that a lot of these vendors supply the thing that it gives you is that obviously the flexibility to use a hybrid of you know different vendors equipment mm-hmm but it still requires you to now understand how that's set up, how those playbooks work. Granted, it's it's supposed to be doing most of the um, interpretive, you know, down to the, the CLI level for those end devices. Um, so it's alleviating you of that headache. But it is a different problem that you have to understand, um, yeah. and it's and it's new training. And I'm not saying that automation is it. You know, we have to make sure we're careful because. It, it would sound to some people that we're advocating for the opposite of automation. And that's not the case. Yeah, it's no. just, we're not doing it. I think in probably the, the cleanest way. Yeah. This um, is thought exercise. You know, just, yeah. these are the things you think about when you're, when we're working with it, because I mean, if you, if you're changing, if the thing, if everything changes from, I have to remember these commands to, I have to remember what variables to put in the YAML file. You are just, you're, you're really just shifting the problem. And yeah. so, like I recall, the the projects that I've done well um, were like we we p figured out how we can measure success. That's one of the things we had to do. And so, even though it was still glue, it, it wasn't necessarily a product. We figured out uh, we we're going to measure success by um, time to time to um, not market, but like time to complete. Right? How long does it take a change to go through? We, we figured out a 
a finite change we're going to do that we're going to automate. How long does it take? So you can measure, you know, manually this is how long it takes. And then through the iterative process, how much quicker you're getting. And then we also measured it by the shrinking number of inputs in the variable file, in the YAML file, in the group mm -hmm. bars, right? And so what that meant was for every few lines that we took away, uh, and you didn't add a bunch of complexity in the templates or anything or, or a bunch of like filters and manipulation. It was basically now we're talking to another external system. So as opposed to all these, you know, thousands of variables in a, in a variable file, now we put everything in Netbox or inside. It, we used inside at the time, but everything in inside. And then as opposed to providing all of the information uh, on the AWS um, VPC, now we're extracting that from AWS, right? So that to that point, that's where it started to feel a bit more like a product, and a product was a unit of network service. Um, but if you don't ever do that, it does feel like you're just shifting a problem. And like just just at its core, if you just do just look what I can do, you know, I've automated this playbook, that isn't adding as much benefit. Yeah, as as a different layer of complexity. So is the absence is the absence of the the measurables really what makes the glue taste horrible? Probably. I, mean, I think I think yeah, I think I mean, what do you think? I think that's what I'm 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 thinking based on cuz if you think about it, like the product we we did before, that's what um we were able to measure it, right? We can actually do the provisioning, we can actually do x y and z. So yeah, maybe that's maybe that's it. You know, we could we could cut down time. I mean, the the fact that we were providing a function that was being completely removed, like we knew when we went into that first project was, um, if this does not get done in these thirty days, we have a deadline from another component that will completely brick this other component. Yeah. And so we definitely had the sense of urgency and the provided value. But I, I ultimately think that, um. Even though we could, we could actually technically cause more work for people to do because the system did it itself, but it was unreliable. So we did benefit from that. So just seeing the users able to do the work, I think, was part of the positive feedback that made it feel less like glue. Um, we caused them to have to do more work because the system was supposed to was automated original, but it wasn't being maintained. And, and you know, it was a big, big bunch of legacy code. Um but providing those end users with functionality was was something that I think was exciting. Um, in retrospect to what we deal with and in the network automation space now, we oftentimes just don't measure it. We just plug it in together, and that just becomes the status quo. Yep. And now, I, when you made the comment of, of of shifting things into the YAML file, just totally clued me into the fact that you know onboarding new team members to how playbooks run um, a lot of organizations forego uh, tower they might use awx but still unless you do a good thorough job of, of templating and and everything else you make more work with them having to understand okay you didn't you don't have to understand how to write a config for these devices anymore but you need to understand all this yaml syntax to um to execute this playbook and it's just as difficult and i don't feel like the a lot of the automation tools that we provide engineers today are really eliminating or reducing the amount of it re reduces the amount of work in the negative side where you, you where you botch a config where yeah. you do all that type of stuff but i don't think it really right now is reducing enough of the work and making it a one-click 
go for the happy path. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I remember. Like we we definitely established that you know some form not even some form but an automation initiative is 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 good when it deals with network cuts down if you cut down on nothing else but human error you you're really providing a benefit but i think when you start to try to one thing i do recall is when you you got into a network team and you were responsible you know you're the data center team or you're the wan team and you're a new engineer x on the wan team and Okay, these are the these are our standard changes. These are the changes you're going to be making. The very first thing they provided you with was here's our change scripts. And mm-hmm. what you do is you do you know hopefully they have them and they'll say well you do find and replace and you replace you know subnet one with you go to you go to Brian and you get another another subnet and you you subnet it out or you you get a, um, a side range you subnet it out and you put the first IP here and the second IP there and it was it was you know, it was cumbersome, but it was easily definable. And and mm-hmm. once you did it two or three times, um, you at least knew how to build the script, right? And, and knew how to do the, the change. Now, actually implementing it, that's where the human error comes in and you copy paste wrong or buffer errors and all that crazy stuff. But like that, we do need to get that form of simplicity um, when it comes with network automation. And that could be a web form. That could be, it, it probably should exist in a higher level system. It should really be like a service now ticket that yeah. does everything. And then the, the, the automation, so to speak, becomes ubiquitous. It's just everywhere. It's a tool that runs. And um, I, I think the barrier though, to building some, a service now integration is, is too high still. Yeah. I feel like you really re- require a business process flow yep. person to understand you require, um, you know, a, a network automation person to, to build all those things. I don't think we've, we've simplified the tools. Like, you know what? I, the, I, I think where we're at with network automation is probably around the C, C++ kind of span of, of if you were to, if you were to equate it to the development of languages, mm-hmm. we networking, when we started our careers, manual configuring everything else, that was writing assembly. That was, you had to understand every nuance. You had to understand the process architecture, the processor architecture, all that type of stuff. You had to, you know, you, I, I look at it as like early on networking, you had to know the fundamental soup to nuts, top to bottom. We've now get into some, some, I mean, C is still a pretty low level language, but I mean, we get, we're starting to get a higher level language. We're starting to get some object, object oriented programming. You know, we have, um, the invention of SDN, we have some controllers, we have things like that, but we haven't gotten up to the, you know, um, I don't want to say JavaScript, but I mean, or even Python, maybe Python is a great example. We haven't yeah. gotten to the Python level of network automation and networking where, um, it's an easy barrier to entry to, to build this stuff out. I think AWS has helped for a lot of the cloud computing, but that has not proliferated into the entire industry. Um, how many awesome awesome analogy? Yeah. How many, uh, how many people do you know? I know, I know a handful of people that are still managing manually switches and routers and everything else like that. Yeah. Quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. And And I think that's an awesome analogy because like what Python does for you or JavaScript, even a Ruby, 
it does a lot of the magic for you under the covers. So yep. a lot of the 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 contract you have with Python to to run dot length or something like that, right? Just something yep. as simple as that that you would have to run or init when you're running a a um when you're doing object oriented, right? The, the init yep. function, the uh, the dunder, all those things. Building out the it, memory allocations, all that type of stuff. Yeah, it does it for you, and it is actually, you know, you could or like with with um, love them or hate them with JavaScript, with with all of the libraries and React, Vue, React Native, all those things. It it always compiles down to raw JavaScript, but it does a lot of the work for you. So, I think that that like leads us into the idea that at some point, for higher level tools to exist, networking has to simplify, and some of the mat it has to be. I think it has to simplify. It also needs to um, be more insured is the word I'm coming up with, but it it just has to be, you have to be more hardened. It has to be more hardened, right? Yeah. You, you have no, you know, if you do something that is a, a built into the Python library, you're not just going to get a random stack trace. You're just not because right. you, you already know that contract exists. So like those contracts have to exist in networking. When you say, you know, BGP, here's the neighbor. In, in the new world, you should already know it's gonna gonna happen. So, so hopefully, one day we get to that utopia. Yeah, and I think we will. But you know, we constantly assume. Um, I think it was was Rick who also, uh, or Jeremy Shulman who brought the brought that up before was that um, that you you're not gonna get the vendors to adopt a standard model for how, you know, we, we got, we got packet level, you know, TCP, UDP, that has to be standard. Like the, the we have mm -hmm. to have those, you know, demarcation on, you know, accepted industry standards, but the configs inside of a CLI between Cisco and Juniper and Arista and all these other people are not going to be, they, they may make a CLI that is compliant with another one of the vendors to it, you know, to, increase their uptick adoption, but that's more work on their part for adopting two styles. And they're going to want to run their own you know, their own native because one, they have different engineers and their boxes are built with different purposes and everything else like that. The same thing happened with languages though, you know, mm -hmm. a between generations of, of Intel processors between Intel and AMD and all these other different architectures, they didn't standardize on an architecture. I mean, x86 and, you know, and, and I, um, and I-64, like there are some standards and expectations and functions that should be available, but down to the down to the metal, it's it is different. And they just created enough glue. They built up a foundation of glue and it's structural glue. I mean, I'm not talking about like the, you know, Elmer's glue that's, you know, not I mean, not to say Elmer's glue is not can't be used as, as foundation, but, um, and not to name names, but I mean, it, it's, it's structural glue. Like that's there. It's well-tested. It has rigor. It has validation. Um, and that's the foundation that we, you know, in software development have today. We can't write JavaScript without that underlying C to Ansible translator or C to, um, I said Ansible, uh, C to assembly, assembly. Yeah. um, adaptive layer. And there are so many switch, like if you watch, a Linux curl compiled like it just is amazing how much we have built on this yeah and I think we're just not there with networking so yep you know and I'm sure at some point in time someone said this is a waste of time we're building way too much glue and it could be extremely fragile but the entire world runs on that fragility now um yeah 
and it seems to be fair it seems to be fairly stable at least from 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 our end use case but we've got to get there with networking we've got to get these vendors shipping um sdks or and i know they do for the most part but mm-hmm. until some industry leader or a, a more open source collective um comes in and says and and i know and i think yang is the attempt i don't know if it's necessarily the best attempt yeah. Um, but we got to get there with, with the network automation so that we can actually build real good, hardy tools that don't require a large amount of technical burden to actually build out. Yeah. You, I mean, you're the king of analogies because like the, the Intel, AMD, the, the Dell, the PowerPC, like that is the perfect analogy because no one went to Dell and said, hey, you got to make your stuff or, or Dell. No one went to Intel so you got to make this work with um, – you and you and AMD need to figure this out and and make a standard mm-hmm. uh, model for us to use, right? Or, or make it. We 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 the the compiler teams are only gonna work with one. We only nope. need one one API and one binding. So you can't expect to go to Cisco and Arista and Juniper and all of them. It's not in their interest. It's not. It's really not their concern. It's not. I'd even say it's not their responsibility at this point, nope. right? It's not. Nope. We make we make hardware how you interface with the hardware and the software that runs on it, you know? So like, what would be cool, what would be great is, uh, to be able to run a decent, uh, a, a decent network OS on any sort of software, but, um, I mean, on any, any sort of hardware, maybe that's, that's the future. Maybe it is SDN. I don't know, but I mean, in the, in the, in the annals and hallways of, of, of the intelligent people, I know they're having these, these conversations as well. We can't be the only ones thinking it. Much smarter people are coming up with it. So we were talking about um, glue and building building the right thing, and you know what, where where network automation is in its maturity, um, which led me to think of what. What have we seen that we don't have to like just a retrospective in the last 10 years and where do we think the next 10 years is going to be? And I think let's, let's do a quick little retrospective of, you know, one of your favorite words. Um, but re- let's reflect, let's not call it a retrospective. What we, let's reflect on the last 10 years with networking, network automation, some bit of software development. What do, what are we doing now that we didn't have to do before? Uh, and what did we, what do we no longer have to do? Um, man, it's a good question. I'm trying to think. Of, I know, like, protocols have changed drastically. Uh, so some of overlays have come into the picture, but that's more of like a technical, technical change. You're talking about operation. Uh, it could be either or. What, what, what is the technical um, thing giving us, or both pain and 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 good that we um, that we didn't have before? Yeah, I don't know. I joke around that everything can be solved with static routes. <laughs> I, I, so I don't know. Um, but no, I, I definitely, I definitely think like designs have. Uh, there's been a proliferation of information out there too. So G- GitHub is a big thing that I've seen in in networking change, um, like democratized documentation. You know, if you go to if you go to GitHub, you can see Postman examples of how to interact with 
Palo Alto firewalls. You know, you see a lot of the vendors getting involved in in producing information. I think that is more a testament to uh, the proliferation of open source. Like that's something we've seen in the last 10 years all across the entire IT industry. Kind of, we, we've seen that, you know, blossom. And so that's that's made its way into networking some some respects. Uh, the ability to do virtual, some, some, we joke about the capabilities and everything, but the ability to do virtual devices in, in a lab is pretty good. Pretty cool. That's something that's come along, and so that. Are we um, using them? The, are, are we using the right way? Like, do Do you think we use them enough? Virtual devices. I mean, you. There's a there's a there's a place for them for sure. I think validating like commands and everything for sure. That's a way to use them. Validating designs to some extent, um, we can use those there. I don't know if the place if if I've seen them touted for CI/CD. And I don't know if that is the right fit. I haven't. I have yet to see that be the right fit, where you know, a validated design, or we 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 have a certain design, a part of a normal workflow, is um, we do continuous integration testing on a virtual lab that we spin up or something like that. So I I don't know. I, I haven't ever seen that work right. personally, right? Work work to in a way that it's supposed to. Well, I know um, I know one of the biggest issues is that yeah. the um, when I think of software development standards, you have or, or practices, we have things like Chrome Driver and headless headless browsers to do our automated testing, which is which is really I mean it, that was a huge game changer with with improving the testability of UIs. Um, but I think we yeah. have a lot of limitations, at least from from firsthand experience, that. Um, the virtual devices that are that the vendors are shipping to us are not feature complete, and either it's because they don't feel the need to make them feature complete, um, or they're worried that somehow this virtual device because they're at a different position. Chrome, Firefox, like all these browsers are all free; they're all proliferated for free. They make their money through other means. The vendors make their money in hardware, but if you can you can put a router on commodity hardware, hardware. We've seen that with what Facebook's done. You can build them from scratch, like what um, I think Facebook actually has is also eventually gotten to um, um, virtualized you know, edges that Cloudflare does. Um, so they're I know apprehensive with releasing a virtual switch because they're worried that it will. Um, basically give away for free the their their products it won't run as well but yeah. they're i know they're worried on some level that it's not going to it's not going to work and slightly they're dealing with you know asics and and chipsets on these um a browser does not require a specific chipset to work um Whereas, because they're supposed to run on, they're intended to run on commodity hardware. Whereas switches and firewalls and routers, they are all expected to live some way on on physical hardware. Um, you see that less now. I mean, you go go look at um, what is the firewall vendor um, that we did all the time in our past life? Um, Forti- uh, Fortinet. You know, more and more yeah. they're virtualizing their equipment. But there's still a lot of the specialized features that aren't aren't available, and maybe maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe that's only a ten percent of the case. Um, but I know yeah. from our current day to day, we have to deal with 
the limitations of of virtualized and and because it's not it's because it's not feature complete people aren't comfortable using that as in any way uh certification or sign off yeah then it's, it's laborious to set up a lot of the connections um you know in the lab the to, to be able to i mean you, you can use kvm and libvirt right and set up a large topology but it's it is laborious and then it's hard to change it well we made docker um, though i mean we made we, we containerized know. effectively a mini os so it's not impossible yeah, it's just sure. hasn't been yeah. done yeah yeah and I, I don't think they're incentivized to do it i mean i'm interested in what um i mean cisco for for all their issues that devnet sandbox and, and the whole devnet initiative that they have and it it led to some new certification so i'm interested to see if they are incentivized to to do something more in the virtual space or even something more in the in the programmatic space I and i think dope. maybe th- um maybe that kind of clues into what we were talking about earlier is that if we get more people with with certifications so so i think the certifications are extremely useful um for one ex- forcibly uh, exposing people to things that they wouldn't naturally come across. Now we're all as engineers generally curious about a million different things, but in some way yep. you do so many need, if you let a bunch of squirrels out in the open field, they're not going to follow any one given direction. Um, and especially from people from engineers, not to call engineers, you know, network engineers squirrels, but when it comes to, to programming, a lot of network engineers have never dealt with programming before. And so releasing them into that field aimlessly and without any sort of, of direction is probably not going to uh, bear fruit for a long time. Whereas I, I, I actually do agree with you with the, with the DevNet certification that I think we may start seeing that next level, higher level language of network automation start being developed. Yeah. It'd be interesting man, if they get incentivized to do it. Um, yeah, they. I mean, they have the clout to do it, right? They're, they're the big dog yep. on the porch, so they decide to do it. That'd be awesome. Uh, I, know, I know the other part you asked was in ten years, what do we see? I, I, I think, um, I don't know. Something that I, that I was reading the other day, uh, um, eBPF extended Berkeley Berkeley packet filtering, right? How, and how it's interacting with the. It's basically a new way to program Linux kernel. So it's taking like byte level filtering, uh, which has applications in like an, a new way to do IP tables. And I don't fully understand it because I'm not that smart. But um, a lot of, uh, I think something like that taking off and, and allowing you, there was there was a movement for white box switching and, and white box routing and FRR and Cumulus and all those things that came about. Um, I would love to see that take off a little more. And so I, I'm wondering if something like that in the next 10 years uh, would take over. The SDN came and, and went and left some things in his wake and it's coming back around uh, in a way. So I'm wondering if that, that'll take we off. Did see that. We did see that article come across with a that. way to plug SDN into your network with, with commodity yeah. hardware. Um, and I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. The one thing that I would like to see is what that end-to-end migration plan is, because obviously everyone has a bunch of there's there are there are telcos all strewn across the entire world that have devices that still have 
manual switch port descriptions and configurations and VLANing and everything else like that, and getting them into an SDN network is going to be a, going to be a hurdle. Um, but I think with that article, which I, which I'll which I'll send a put a link in with the the show notes of this, um, but basically was you independently VLAN tagged all of the switch ports, and then you have you basically deploy a box that becomes your SDN router, um, and it's it basically is attaching the brains of the SDN onto a legacy uh, legacy switch. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool, but it yeah. also requires that, 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 you know, um, it's not a patch because it's not, it, you know, the, at least a patch is the wrong word to me because I think realistically that can be a manageable solution for a lot of organizations is having commodity switches, you know, small mm-hmm. business switches that you can configure with a, with a somewhat smarter brain, a little bit beefier with, you know, with some, some uh, you know, 10 or hundred gig, hundred gig switchboards. And a Linux kernel uh, forwarding all that traffic, um, but what happens when you grow beyond that? There will be invariably limitations to that. Can you take that cluster and merge it into a mesh of other SDN actual appliances? And that's, I think, are are you going to go down one path only to have to back out and go back the other direction? Is really all I'm saying is that you know we need to make sure that wherever we're going, we're going in the the forward direction and don't have to keep going back. Yeah, back to the future. Where we're going, no, nope. we won't need roads. Yeah, I am. Um, uh, yeah, that would the SDN piece. Uh, to your point, that would be cool to see uh, kind of take off in the next ten years. I think um, simplification will have to take place. Uh, and then that uh, that analogy you said it earlier was spot on, man. Like basically, there's there has to be a Linux of networking that comes about right that, that that unifies that just treats though the the network gear as a as a yep. uh, a chipset right or just treats it as a it's a it's a closed closed box and i make the contracts with the box and you don't you as a developer or an operator don't have to interact with it and then on we build tools on top of that and i think like napalm was an excellent example of being able to do that in some respects um and it would be it would be cool to see uh that something like that a little bit uh more fleshed out or with more support from the vendors and uh so is that is that that years. was my next question was culture related um obviously we need to get more engineers um understanding programming because linux the linux kernel um and somewhat microsoft especially early in you know early on um there was a there was a bit of economic uh, incentive to support all these platforms, um, and yet there was also just the culture of wanting to do that. Do you think that we have too few people in the space right now actually caring enough to develop the Linux kernel for network automation, um, or are we are we micro are are, yeah. are we so in it right now that we're microscopically analyzing it yet? It is actually being developed. We just we don't have, you know, we don't have the historical context to say, oh, mm-hmm. you know, overnight it seemed, you know, in hindsight it seemed like it was overnight to develop a Linux kernel um, that supports all these different architectures. No, that took 20, 30, 40, 50 years to actually build that out. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe, yeah, maybe so. But but I think I think both, right? I think on the one hand, um, if you are an engineer, if if you take your hat off, the hat that we're wearing off, and you put on the hat of I I have to keep the lights on, what is the incentive at this point, right? What is the incentive for you personally to learn mm-hmm. Python, Go, you know, network automation? Because the tools the Sometimes the tools, depending on how they're used, depending on how they're written, depending on the buy-in from your org, sometimes it's just moving the complexity around, like we talked about earlier. So we have to, there has to be some incentive for someone to, to do it. There has to be an interest. And then ultimately has to change the way that you're going to interact with the network gear. Because if if I input the values in a CLI and then I go back and I input the same type of values in a, a YAML file, um, the benefit is just I can touch more mm-hmm. devices at once. But if I if it changed the way it interacts, if there's a whole workflow that comes from me putting in a service now ticket or a request coming from someone else or self service portal, and now all I have to do is is build the the service contracts to make that work, uh, then it's a little bit more of an incentive, you know. I think. So uh, that's the one hand. The other hand is, um, yeah, the, the Linux kernel wasn't Rome wasn't built in a day. So I we are seeing some inroads. I think within the next ten, th- whatever is going on with Yang or uh, whatever the data modeling language that standardizes it or is used, mm-hmm. I would love to see that fleshed out. I think that would be uh, <laughs> it's a pipe dream in a, in a way to have a, you know, a, a universal data model for all networking. Um, it doesn't exist in the cloud world really. So, you know, hopefully it, it, it will, it will happen, but that would be the, the, um, the Linux of the, well, that will go a long way mm-hmm. for the Linux of network. I think we need to, we need to, um, coin that term. We should try the, Linux. Linux I, I was thinking more of the, the, the kernel of network automation, you know, the kernel of yeah, the kernel, kernel of network automation kernel. or the microkernel or you know but uh, yeah i i agree i think we i think that's really where over the the next 10 years we need to to start focusing on is actually the vendors are not going to do it they're not incentivized and, and and you put it correctly it is not their responsibility it is not their responsibility to to build that yeah. kernel but we as a we as a community no, need to start building not. that and I don't think in any way, shape, or form, Linux or Microsoft. I mean, I'm sure there was a point in time there was some economic incentive for them to to cooperate, but I think for for the long and short of it, there wasn't necessarily a need for them to favor Linux versus Microsoft or anything else. And they, as an in Intel, did not see the Linux also working with AMD as being a um, as a like you know we're, oh you're working with AMD we're not going to work with you, um, we just need to make sure that right. that that mission is understood by the by the big players right now. Um, some of them are more favorable than others, um, but I think through through sheer perseverance we'll we'll get there or the or the whole you know world will end and that's that'll be a sad but there's only two outcomes. Yeah, we we either get yeah we'll, that's it. It's, those two ultimatums will will automate the network right. or the world will implode. 